you uh, take note of the words that we sing sometimes and what they mean, and I trust that those words as we sang them to the Lord uh, really reflect our heart, that we surrender all we are and all we have to Him for His purposes. Um, I want to tell you a, a story in a day in the life of Jesus today. If you want to follow along with me, you can. It's in uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. And um, if, if uh, you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you, and you're welcome to pick that up and turn to page 867. 867. And that is um, uh, actually 866. And um, it's a day in the life of Jesus. Um, Jesus had been in a a busy time and uh, also had some discouragements. And he's going to get away with his disciples for a little retreat. And uh, that doesn't work out too well for him because everything he has done for people has garnered him all kinds of interest and popularity and support, and so people are chasing after him. This is a fairly well-known story. If you've been in Sunday school, you probably know it. Even if you haven't spent much time in church in your life, you still may know it. Uh, This is a story that is included in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so there was something obviously significant to it. And so I want to begin reading at verse 10 to verse 17. And uh, what we read is this, that uh, on the return, the disciples had gone out on a, on a, a little mission. On, on the return, the apostles told Jesus all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them. And spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him. Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages. And the countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we're here in a desolate place. But he said to them. You give them something to eat. They said we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50. And they did so. And he had them sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Here's a time in Jesus' life when uh, he's uh, been busy. He's just received some bad news about John the Baptist, his cousin. The one who came to proclaim the coming of Messiah. The one who came, John the Baptist, that great, great figure in, in that uh, time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, when, when he comes proclaiming that the Messiah is coming and the people were called to uh, prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. And uh, he was slaughtered. He was murdered by Herod 
at the whim of uh, his, his uh, consort's daughter who asked for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And uh, there was a measure of grief. There was a, they had gone through a busy time, and so they wanted to get away. They wanted a retreat. They wanted some rest, much-needed rest. Uh, they wanted also uh, to reflect on their ministry, to grieve this tragedy. And so they go to Bethsaida there uh, on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And, and uh, wherever Jesus was, if people knew he was there, they mobbed him. And so people found out that Jesus is there and they start coming from all over. And, and, and just mobs and, and, uh, of people come. And uh, so much for the quiet retreat, so much for the time of getting away and getting a little R&R and recharging your batteries. And Jesus, as he sees all these people coming, can't turn them away. And so he begins to minister to them. He begins to heal them and cure their diseases and cast out demons and, and proclaim the kingdom of God. And uh, this is going on all day. And the disciples kind of come to him as the day goes longer. And they try and talk a little sense into poor Jesus. Hey, like we're hungry and we're tired. Send the people away. And uh, enough already. Let's wrap up this meeting. The day was well spent. And so people are now hungry. They've been there all day. They haven't had anything to eat. They're far from home. And, and uh, they're tired and Jesus looks at the crowd and has compassion upon them. I, I, some of the most beautiful passages of Scripture talk about Jesus as he looks upon humanity. He has such deep, deep compassion and care and concern for them. And he wasn't willing to just dismiss the crowd like that. And so he says something ridiculous to his followers, his, the 12 disciples. He says... You give them something to eat. And, uh, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. This is ludicrous. There are 5,000 men plus women and children. So that could be north of 10,000 people. And, and here they are. Uh, Philip, in one of the other uh, accounts of this story, it says, you know what? If we had eight months' wages, it wouldn't be enough to give a little mouthful to everybody. I mean, this is, this is crazy talk. Uh, what, what, what we're talking about. Um, and uh, we also find out from one of the other versions that uh, the guys went to see if they had any resources there, and they found a little kid with his lunch. And uh, his lunch comprised of five buns and two sardines. His mom packed him something for the day. Here's the only kid with food that we know of. I don't know about you, but if I, was the, if I were that kid, I would be hiding that food somewhere. And uh, it was Andrew, good old Andrew, who's always bringing somebody to Jesus, finds the kid with this stuff and says, hey, come on, and I want to introduce you to the master. Jesus said, what have you got there, son? Nothing. <laughs> I've got five buns and two fish. Can I have it? Yes. Here, Lord, have it. And so Jesus tells the guys, Sit them down in companies of 50. I think this is how we know, this is how we get a fix on, on numbers. Sit them down in companies of 50. And, and, um, and so we've got this mass of people all sitting down. Uh, and Jesus does something. Jesus takes that which was given to him. 
and he blesses it. He prays, and then he begins to distribute it. And the food keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming. And the disciples are back and forth with their baskets, and it's passed around, and, and everybody at the end of the day is filled right up, totally satisfied, and in fact, wouldn't you know, there were leftovers. And surprisingly enough, the leftovers were 12 baskets, 12 guys who had trouble with this whole thing in the first place. And um, so it, it's a fantastic story. But, but what is the point of the story? What does it mean? What, what is Jesus trying to communicate in, in, in this particular account in his life? Um, I think Jesus knew that his time on earth was short. He's not going to be there forever. He, he's going to prepare um, the disciples and others to start the church and to manage and grow and, and, and care for the church of Jesus Christ. He knew that uh, he'd have to be going back to heaven and he was going to leave the whole enterprise with these guys. And, uh, and, and so they were, in essence, students in the school of Jesus. They were preparing for a lifetime of ministry. They were preparing a, a lifetime of, of launching the church and, and growing the church and helping the church be all that he wanted in the establishment and growth of that. And Jesus also wanted to grow their faith. He wanted to teach them and school them and, and help them understand. He wanted to increase the level of their trust and mature them spiritually and help them to become more like him. And so he recognized that one of the best ways of accomplishing that was by getting them to serve. In fact, uh, Jesus had chosen these guys and, and his whole plan was to shape and mold them for usefulness in his kingdom, to teach and prepare them. And so he has what I want to call the first practicum. And that is in verse 9 and 1 to 6. And in that, um, you know, if, you, if you're a teacher... You understand that when you were a teacher, you were in, in, uh, doing your B.Ed. And you were preparing to teach. And what you had to do is you had to do practice teaching, right? So you did your schoolwork, but then you went into the school and you taught. And you got, uh, you got experience in that. And not only with experience, but you got marked and you could improve with this or that. And, and Jesus, in essence, is preparing the disciples for their calling. And so he has the first practicum for them. And in that, he's going to first empower them. There will be an empowerment for this ministry. He's going to authorize them and empower them for that. So in uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, we read this. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all uh, demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said, okay, guys, I'm sending you out now, and, and I will empower you, and I'm going to commission you, and I want you to go out and do ministry. I want you to preach about the kingdom of heaven. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to care for people. I want you to cure diseases and cast out demons and all the rest of that. And, and so 
there was that, that empowerment that he needed to do, but not only was there empowerment, they needed to learn dependency. Dependency. And so in verses 3 to 5, Jesus said, here's how it's going to be. Now, let me tell you this. If you were thinking of going out as a missionary and you were given this direction, I know of no mission board, agency, denomination that would do this, but this is something that Jesus did because he needed to teach the disciples something about uh, dependency. And so we read, he told them this, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, you're not going to have any supplies, don't take a bag with you, no bread, don't take anything to eat, don't take any money, don't take an extra shirt. Go with the shirt on your back, and, and I want you to go out and, and do this. But I want you to understand that uh, I don't want you to take anything with you. Because you need to learn, if you're serving me, you need to depend on me and to depend on me alone. And uh, so here they were. And going out with nothing. What, what was going to happen? Well, they're going to have to rely that Jesus, who empowered them and sent them out, will care for their needs all the same. So they go with nothing but the shirts on their back. Well, the results were, uh, were this. Uh, in verse 6. The results were outstanding. They preached. People responded. They went healing everywhere. It says, so they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. God was working through them wherever they went. It was incredible. And so they go with nothing. But God, uh, but, but Jesus um, uses them and works through them. And they had incredible success. Now, success can be a dangerous thing too, Right? People who have some success, um, sometimes you, a little bit high on yourself. Maybe you've seen us, we're Jesus band. Yeah, I healed you and you and you, thank you, thank you for those hands. You can slip those hands down now. And you know, it's thinking like, hey, I'm further ahead than I really am. And sometimes people who are new and young in the faith, have some success in some ministry, and it goes a little bit to their head. And before long, they're thinking, you know, look what I did. Look at, aren't I wonderful? Look, look at what I did. I, I, I. And Jesus was trying to teach them something about ministry. And the results were all to him. And, and it, we can be prone to pride in that. We can prone to be prone to believe that we did it in our power, in our strength. And maybe they felt that they were, you know, okay. They were on a great growth curve. They were, they were uh, where they should be and beyond. I think they may have had a, a more positive um, self-assessment than what was justified. By the way, we're admonished in Scripture that uh, when, when you choose leaders in the church, don't choose novices, don't choose brand new believers because they can be puffed up with pride they can they can miss some stuff you need some people who've had some hard knocks and walked with the lord and and have experience and so after this exhausting day of ministry 
this time when these guys have had enough ministry now. Like, we need a break from this. We're, we're tired. I can't stand on my feet any longer. And, and, and people just keep coming and coming. And so they're tired and they're hungry. And Jesus understands that because they're in the school of Jesus, they don't have it all together yet. And this is a process. And so we need to take the next step. And so it's what I'm going to call the second practicum. And so here they are in this setting, and um, they want, Jesus wants to take their faith up a level. Do you know, I, I want to tell you, Jesus is committed to your personal growth. Sometimes we think like we're doing it all our, our own. Jesus is absolutely committed to your growth in the faith. And uh, so here they are um, in this day, and Jesus is going to, take their faith up a level. He's going to deepen their faith. He's going to deepen their spiritual walk in him and have them grow. And so he gives them an assignment. I'm not sending them away hungry. You feed them. Give them something to eat. You feed them. And they go like, is he for real? It's like, has Jesus lost it or something like that? Um, but Jesus knew something that we knew, that if you want to grow your faith, you need to trust more. And trusting was something that they always didn't do so well. If you want to have a, a stronger faith, you need to become more like Jesus, and you need perhaps some catalyst in your life that will help you grow spiritually. And the catalyst here that he's talking about, this third catalyst is this it's personal ministry so we've been looking over the last couple of weeks at the things that God uses in his commitment to us to help us grow in our faith and strengthen us and we two weeks ago or three weeks ago we had um, the word of God it's practical teaching and we said how God accelerates our growth is this um, he, what he does is he gives us practical teaching. Now, we need the Word of God to grow. The Word of God tells us what to believe, what to stay away from. Uh, he tells what to change and how to live our life. But we need not only the teaching of the Word of God, we need practical teaching of the Word of God. We, know, we need to know how it touches our lives and what we do uh, with this teaching in the Word of God. And we don't just need to know how it's applied. We need to apply it. And when we apply it, Wow, we start to soar spiritually. We grow and grow. And last week, we looked at providential relationships. How God will put people in our life to help us grow. That we're not, running, we're not doing this alone. But God has put us in a family, and we journey together in faith. And, and when somebody gets tired, somebody helps them up. When somebody stumbles, somebody lifts them up. When somebody needs instruction or somebody needs correction, there's somebody around us that God puts into our life so that we can be all that he wants us to be. And this third one is personal ministry. What God uses to grow our faith is personal ministry. And uh, most of our growth catalysts are things that God does to us, things that come our way. The Word of God comes to us. The teaching of the Word of God comes to us. God puts people in our life that come to us and help us and strengthen us and, and chastise us and all the other things that we do. 
The interesting thing with this, it's not so much what somebody is doing for us, but what we are doing for someone else. Contrary to uh, something that comes our way to help us, this is something that we, uh, that comes from us as we serve. And the disciples weren't as spiritually grown up as they thought. And so here's this vast crowd of people, and Jesus says, don't send them away with empty stomachs. I want you to feed them. Do ministry. Well, that's fine. But has Jesus lost his senses? Um, this is just unrealistic to think, look at this little kid's lunch and this vast, vast crowd of people. It's impossible. It's logically impossible. The five buns and the two sardines with so many people. Is this a joke? You certainly can't mean this, Jesus. But Jesus does mean it. Jesus is absolutely intent on here. And the task is laughable, what he's given them. But Jesus is serious. And so here they are in the school of Jesus. Here they are training. And he's given them something to grow their faith, something that they can't do in their own strength. And what he wants them to learn first is dependency. I thought we, I thought we covered that. I thought we covered that. When you sent us out without a bag or tunic or money or bread or you just sent us out and, and we, we trusted you and we saw it. And here we are all over, all over again. They weren't, they weren't as far advanced as what they thought they were. They thought, well, we got this, we've got this covered. We're ready now to take this position. Jesus says, no, I don't think we've got it yet. So here's, a, here's another lesson. Feed them. And... Um, they can't do that. They can only do it if there's a sense of dependency upon Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said in, in John chapter um, 15? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You need to depend on me. If you're going to serve me, I'm going to put you in places where you're out of your depth, where you can't do this by yourself. You need to be able to depend on on me and uh, we need help we need jesus enablement we need his power to be able to accomplish what he wants us to do and we can be deceived if we think we're doing it we can do it in our own strength because sometimes i can tell you from experience when you've done ministry for a while you know how to do some things and there's a sense in yeah i can handle this no i'm, I'm okay with this and we don't realize the total dependency that we really need to have on God all the time. So not only do we need to learn the lesson of dependency, we need to learn the lesson of being able to give to Jesus what we have. Hey, it's just five buns and two sardines. This is ridiculous. It's not even worth mentioning. Why would we even mention that when it can't do anything? But Jesus takes it. They said, here, here's, we, here's all we have. Here's this little bit that we have. And Jesus takes it. And he accomplishes incredible things with a tiny, tiny bit. It's, it, we couldn't do it. No. Oh, but Jesus can. And so he wants us to give him the little that we have. I don't know what little you have. But Jesus wants you to entrust that to him. 
Jesus said, just give me what you have. But, but Lord, I, I don't have many gifts, and I'm not, I'm not very eloquent, and I'm not good. And Give me what you have. I don't care what it is. Give me what you have. Um, you remember when God asked Moses a question, which was kind of interesting? He said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? A stick. Go stick. Why don't you take the Egyptian armies on and take that stick? Are you kidding? Chariots and I got a stick. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. What, what do you have in your hand? It's a, it's a stick. It's just a stick until God empowers the stick. And you throw the stick down and it turns into this snake that is fearsome. And God says, pick it up. And he picks it up and it goes back to. It, 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 was, it was only a stick until God did something with that stick. And he held it out over the Nile River. And the water turned to blood. It was only a stick when Moses struck the rock in the middle of a desert. Water is flowing to care for the people. It's just a stick until he held it over the Red Sea and the sea parted. What's in your hand, Moses? It's only a stick. What can you do with a stick? Well, when God inhabits it, you can do something incredible with the little that God gives us. And this story is really about us. It's really about ourselves. We're in the school of Jesus. We're learning how to trust him and, and, and to grow and do what he says. And this story is all about us and about serving him as well. And learning to depend on him. And no matter what we have, how small and how insignificant it seems, he can do something incredible with that. Uh, Dr. Howard Hendricks is a picture of a guy who's affectionately known as Prof. Um, I've, I've had chances of hearing Dr. Hendricks speak. He, was, uh, he taught uh, Christian education at Dallas Theological Seminary for 60 years. The guy was incredible as a communicator. He figures he taught um, 10,000 students in his time. Uh, he was, for several years, he got to be the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and I, I've heard him speak on occasion. Authored 16 books and, and had such an incredible life. Has impacted tens of thousands of people through his students, his writing, his teaching, um, and, and speaking. Uh, incredible, incredible things that God did. But when you hear something about his story, you might be a little amazed. His parents broke up when he was a baby, and it was his grandmother who raised him in Philadelphia. And uh, he, was a, he was a kid that was troubled. He had a lot of problems and a lot of difficulties. He was branded as a troublemaker. Uh, he, he was acting out. In fact, his fifth grade teacher uh, did this. She tied him to a chair once and she put tape on his mouth another time. Could you do that today? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. But uh, yes, our teachers are going, no. <laughs> um, but he was... You know, here, here's what his teacher said. He's most likely to end up in prison. No one could do anything with this kid. He was a hurting, broken little kid. 
incorrigible. And then came grade six. And Miss Noah had a heart for this kid. She had a heart for a kid that was nobody wanted. And uh, she met him the first day, and she said, Howie, I've heard a lot of things about you, and I don't believe any of them. And he said, for the first time in his life, somebody believed in him. Somebody believed that he could be something more than the bratty little kid who was going to end up in prison. Well, it's interesting that there was a man in his neighborhood, a, a, a man who went to, went to his church, and, and he said, I'd like to be a Sunday school teacher. And they said to this guy, we really don't have any place, position for Sunday school teachers, but if you go out and get yourself a class, you can teach a Sunday school class. So here's this guy, very little education, just a person that God put a burden on his heart for kids to know Christ. And so uh, what he did was he began to engage the neighborhood kids. You know what he did? He played marbles with them and earned a measure of trust with them. And in fact, he had about seven or eight kids that he had to start a Sunday school class with. One of those was little Howie Hendricks. And here this guy, this simple guy, just poured into his life. And God put person after person and, and took people who were, who were unspectacular, but whose God, God, whom God's power had flowed through to help them be and do something more than they ever did. Howard Hendricks became a follower of Christ, as did some of the other boys in that group. A number of them went on to ministry. But it started with somebody who did something that seems insignificant, but God can take the insignificant things and do incredible stuff with them. And uh, most often we find ourselves making excuses why we can't do things. Um, Moses argued vociferously with God, why he could, Moses, I, I want you to come, you're going to go and speak to Pharaoh and you're going to lead my people out. I can, don't, not me. I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm no good. I, I don't speak well. I mean, he had, God got frustrated with him and had to shut him up and said, as a concession, I'll let your brother do the speaking for you. God wants to take us and use us. You say, you don't know how little I have. You don't know how little I, I, I just don't have anything much to offer. But I want you to know that God is able to take and use whatever you have if you depend on him, if you offer it to him, and you work with Jesus along with that. God never asks us to do anything that he doesn't empower us at the same time to do. And God wants to use you. God wants you to depend on him and to entrust yourself to him and give him the little that you have. And God wants all of us as followers to serve Jesus Christ with our gifts and our abilities and our passions. Our calling is to serve him. We heard that this morning in the scripture. How God gave leaders in the church to equip people for the work of ministry because all of us are to be serving in various capacities in the church. And, and probably some of the great weakness of the church is when people don't do their part and serve with the gifts that God has given them. And um, here we are, 
serving others results in personal spiritual growth. It's not just what God does in us, through us, as we serve. It's what God does in us as we serve Him. And that's strange because the benefits and the blessings that come from serving God come back to us as greater blessing than I think so often what we do for others, as wonderful as that can be. When we serve others, when we give to others, God takes and blesses us through that. How great is God as he works this way in us? Uh, as disciples are called to serve, and by through serving, we grow. It, it's, it's a catalyst to growth. I've been learning this throughout my whole life. I've been learning those things that when, when I stepped out and, and trusted God, um, I told you when I was in college, I had the privilege of teaching the adult Bible class. I told you I had two pastors, retired pastors in that group who had a cumulative uh, 85 years in service. And I was their teacher. Ha, ha, ha. And they were so gracious and I worked so hard. I loved that class. In, in the church uh, that I was in, in uh, when I was in college, they had the service first, and they had the Christian education hour second. And I was so cranked. I spent hours studying and preparing those lessons. And, uh, and I could hardly wait for church to get over so I could teach. And I was so blessed. I grew more than they grew in it. And, and the thing is, when we serve, the, the comeback to us, the boomerang effect, is that we grow sometimes more even than the people we serve grow. I told you I've been learning this all my life. I told you last week about the first sermon I was preaching. I was driving from London to Kingston. It's like a five and a half hour drive. A morning and an evening service. And it was so bad, I felt. I, I didn't even want to go. I was just, I was sick about going. But I'd made a commitment. And I had people standing in prayer with me. God used those things. I think he used the sermon more in my life to teach me about following Christ and serving Christ and depending on him and all of that kind of thing. Learning to trust him. On my first trip to India... Um, I went to uh, I went with uh, uh, another pastor, and we taught 55 uh, pastors who had very little education for a week. Uh, my church felt like you're going all this way. Why don't you do a little fact finding on the second week, and uh, we'll connect you with some people. And so, uh, so I did that. So the first week was great, and uh, after Sunday. Um, I had this uh, now this opportunity to hang out with uh, another uh, leader and uh, and pastor, and I found out two days before I was flying out that they had booked me for ten speaking engagements that they hadn't told me about, and I was kind of flipping out. And I talked to somebody, and they got the leader of the organization to call me, and I, I said, like, I don't know who I'm speaking to. I don't know what what the needs are I don't you know so he shared a few things with me I went to my office and collected a whole pile of teaching stuff I didn't know what I was going to be doing I just needed to have enough material that there's something that I could work with and 
And uh, so I went, and uh, on the Tuesday morning, they took me to a, uh, to a village, a village that had never received the gospel. And one of the pastors who was in the area had just started six weeks earlier working in that area. What he did was uh, he was working with children. They started with children and seek to work up to the parents. So here I am, and uh, I've, I've got a, a satchel, and I've got all kinds of material in it, and uh, we park the car, and you can't drive a car any further in, so we walk in this, this little um, uh, pathway, this little brick pathway by these houses that were, had thatched roofs and kind of mud and quite, quite primitive. And so we went there, and they began to lay out tarpaulins on the ground. And uh, the people from the village started to come. Now, this was a Tuesday morning. Some of the men weren't there. There were some men there. And, um, and I started to watch these people come. They've never had the gospel. Here comes this guy from Canada, um, and I, I don't have a clue what I'm going to say to them because I know nothing that I have brought with me is going to be suitable for them. I am freaking out to the Lord. I'm walking away from them, and I watch them. Three and four and five-year-olds sitting quietly. Like, these are like kids that I haven't, I don't know. And up in age, and then parents holding kids at the back. And there were probably about 70 people, 80 people. And I'm looking out at them, and I don't have the foggy clue what I'm going to do or what I'm going to say. Right beside where I would stand, there are two like stalls, probably 15 foot each, with a roof and open, filled with idols, filled with idols. I'm standing here uh, before these people, and, and I'm, I'm desperately calling on the Lord, God, I don't have anything for these people. What am I doing here? And God answered, and he brought to my remembrance Mark chapter 2. The people, the four friends that brought their paralytic, climbed up on the roof, dug through the roof, let the friend down. I began to recount the story to them, and, and I told them how sometimes we feel like the biggest problem we have is that we don't have enough money, or we're sick, or this, or we've got relational problems. But here was a man who was, who was in desperate need, and he didn't realize that the greatest need he had was for forgiveness. And we have a, there's a God who loves you, who sent his son to die. And I began to share the gospel. I don't know what God did in that. That's a, like a first foray into that, into that village of the gospel. But I know that, man, you talk about a learning a lesson in faith and walking when you're standing there looking into the eyes of people who are looking to you for something and you know that you don't have anything that you know that you can think of that is right for them and God comes through and helps us in that way. You see, God wants to grow our faith and sometimes the way he does it, he does it through our serving and, and I, I, I don't know about you, but, but I, I've watched people who just take off in growth when they start serving. See, God has chosen to do his work through us. Did you get that? God does his work through us as we interact with others. And, and, and God wants us to give ourselves to him.
and our gifts and our abilities and say, I don't know, it's not much that we have, but whatever you want me to do with this, I'm willing to do it because I know I can't do anything, but I, I need to rely on you and I offer it to you and I work along with you. Um, Debbie Mason sang a song that this just kind of powerfully spoke about this to me. She said, if we were not loved to love, if we were not touched to touch, if we were not led to lead, if we were not fed to feed, if we weren't taught to teach or sought to seek, to helped to help or told to tell, if you didn't sacrifice yourself so that we could have new life, fuller and deeper than before, then Lord, what in the world did you save me for? If, we had not been for, if you had not forgiven us to let mercy live in us so that we could love, you could love through us once more, then Lord, what in the world have you saved us for? He saved us and done things for us so that we can serve others. And that God can take and put his power in us, infuse us with that power with the most modest of gifts and abilities, God can do absolutely great things. He can take, he can take a teacher who gives an, an alternate view to a kid who's been written off or, or to a guy who doesn't have much education but cares about kids. God can do, can do that stuff. And you know the beautiful thing is? When God does that, the only one who can get the credit is God. It's not us. I, as, we, as we think about this and our responsibility to serve God, some of you are saying, you know what, I, I really, I, I don't have much to offer. I, I, I don't, uh, my, my efforts are so humble. And, and, and God wants to do something through you. And you may be saying, I, I, I don't know what I have to even offer. Um, right now, Pastor Daniel has been running and you're too late to get in on it now, but uh, a sh our SHAPE course. And the SHAPE course is, is a, a six-week uh, class that we're, we're going through that helps you discover your SHAPE, God, how God has wired you, your spiritual gifts. Do some fun things like some spiritual gift surveys and stuff like that. And as you answer the questions, you kind of see how God has wired you. Um, there's your spiritual gifts, your heart. What are your passions? And and, and uh, your interests, your abilities, your natural talents, your personality, your experience, and, and talking about each one of these things and, and how God uses them to shape us in, in different ways that he can use us. And, and you may say, I just don't, I didn't even know what I can do. Um, we'll do this again in the new year, and I want to encourage you to, uh, to take part in that. But, but here's the thing. To do this, it's going to require that you... Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone. You need to extend yourself. When I went and, and stood before this whole village, I'm thinking, what in heaven's name am I doing here in this place? I am so out of my depth. But that's what God wants to do. He wants to put us in a place that's out of our depth so that we trust him and he extends us. Hey, listen, we're going down to uh, Toronto Alliance. Um, we need people to go. We need people to make food and go and serve it. You say, but I'm nervous about street people. I'm nervous about people who, who are homeless. 
I don't know what I would do or say. And, and some of them, you know, are, are maybe a little mentally unstable. Why don't you get out of your comfort zone and commit to go down there and take some food and by the love of Christ, pray for them and serve them and love them and show concern for them. You say, I'm not sure that I can do it. Why don't you trust God to do that? We talked about hampers this morning. Um, what, what we do is we have, a, we have a group of people that we serve on a continuous basis all year. And they come in for a little program on the Saturday morning that we conclude the hampers program. The 16th, isn't it? And um, so what we have is an opportunity to bring in some baking or squares or some stuff to eat and serve them and talk to them. I tell you, I've had a, had a great time just hanging out with them and talking to them. And you say, well, I'm not sure whether I could do that. I mean, do something. Go and just love on somebody and bring something for them. Uh, God, will, God will work through that. You say, well, share your faith. I don't know whether I can share my faith. I know. But God can help you do that. Invite somebody to church. And I'm kind of nervous about that. Why don't you step out of your comfort zone and do something that you haven't done before? Um, we think of the work with our children's programs and with our, our youth. And, and we think of visiting shut-ins and people who are sick in the hospital. And, and, and we have all kinds of needs for things. We need musicians and tech people and, and prayer ministry and, and greeters and al table leaders for Alpha. And, and we've got all this stuff. And we have all these people. I don't want to encourage you to get out of your comfort zone and say, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this a try. And I, I just, I don't feel like I'm really well suited for it or, or, or I'm prepared for it. But we'll help you and we'll walk through you. But we need some of us to get out of our comfort zone and to commit to following Christ. And you'll be amazed how God can grow you as you do that. I have, a, I have a friend who was a former elder who calls me. I think I've told you this. He's been at church here. He prays for me every uh, Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. And I've watched his life over the last 15 years. And I've watched as he's engaged in more and more ministry and different ministry. I've seen how God has put him on some some boards of uh, colleges and, and different, uh, different opportunities. And I look at him and I say, boy, Brian, God has really grown you in that time. Man, from who you were 15 years ago to now, that's incredible. God will grow us as we risk and we get out of our comfort zone and we're challenged to take on some service that we need God's help for. And God can use you and do something incredible through you that you could never have done yourself. And what we need to do is to give ourselves away. To give ourselves to him so that he can use us. Let's pray. Father, uh, this is a pretty scary message for a lot of us here today because we're not sure what we have to offer you and it and we're not sure whether we can do it. And Lord, you want us to be able to trust you more. And part of that will be involved with giving ourselves to you. Availing 
uh, ourselves of service opportunities and knowing that you can mold us and make us and grow us in our faith as we trust in you. And so help us to do that this day, we pray in Christ's name. I give myself away I give myself away So you can use me I give myself away I 
Is your heart open to what God wants to do in, in, through you that will come back to you in growth? What a joy and a delight. I tell you, it is so worth it to give yourself to him that he might take and use and grow you through that. I'll tell you what, after we close, I'm just going to ask the, uh, the musicians to keep playing. And if God has been kind of prompting you and, and something comes to your mind, you know, there's something that I've had thinking about or a burden for, would you just come, just come and share that with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out here for a while, okay? And that would be great. Father, we thank you um, for who you are. Thank you that you use us. I just can't get over that. And when we give ourselves to you, you bless us. And so, Father, we just um, pray that our hearts would be open and listening and responding to you. And, uh, Father, that your blessing would be upon this place. And we see the wonderful things that God would do. Uh, Father, we uh, pray for those who have needs and, and may just come up and spend time praying with somebody. And, Father, we just want to remember tonight with our uh, praise and prayer that you would put your blessing upon that time that we share in your presence. So we ask these things in the name of Jesus. And pray a blessing upon this gathered assembly in his name. Amen. God bless you.